welcome to the All About Animals show. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today I'm really looking forward to be talking to Todd Montgomery. He is the senior manager and former outreach and education manager at the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. The Elephant Sanctuary provides elephants retired from performance and exhibition a safe refuge and opportunity to interact with other elephants. It's North America's largest natural habitat sanctuary for captive elephants, over 3,000 acres in size. Thank you so much for joining today, uh, Mr. Montgomery. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So can you just start us by telling us about your background and how you became interested in in animal welfare? Sure. Uh, My my background is, um, I, I tell everyone that um, I, I work uh, with and, and, and uh, or in the elephant business now, but my, my background is in education. So um, I've always loved animals and enjoyed being around animals, but I found out um, early in my career that I had a, a very special passion for teaching people about animals and, and different ways that, that humans and, and animals could uh, coexist in a more helpful uh, or mutually beneficial ways to, to both, I suppose. So um, I, I didn't really get fully immersed in, in elephant welfare and, and, and thinking more about elephant well-being until I started learning more about the elephant sanctuary. And then, of course, um, I've, I've learned more than I, than I ever could have expected in my, my decade now working um, here at the elephant sanctuary and, and working, uh, working for the elephants, I like to say. Yes, and you've done work as the education manager as well at the Elephant Sanctuary, and it has some really good um, educational programs for, um, you know, a younger, just younger children in general, which I think is really important. So um, just regarding the Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary, can you tell us about it, its mission, what kind of work do you guys do? I'd be happy to. And you covered a lot in the introduction there. Thank you for that. But um, and some of this may be repetitive, but so bear, bear with me. But uh, the Elephant Sanctuary is one of two accredited uh, elephant sanctuaries in North America. Uh, we're located in uh, South Central Tennessee, about an hour and a half southwest of Nashville. Uh, and the sanctuary itself uh, has two, two purposes. We, we have a, a dual mission. I think it's a good way to think of it. Uh, the first half of our mission is to care for elephants, as you as you might have guessed. We, we do that in a number of ways. We have um, a 3,060-acre sanctuary preserved here in uh, Lewis County, Tennessee, that is a home to nine elephants that are retired from performance uh, and exhibition. And going back to our, um, to our start in 1995, uh, since that time, we've cared for 28 elephants physically here at the sanctuary uh, in total. So, um, you know, I, I tell everybody that our, our population changes from time to time. We have, we have new elephants arrive, obviously, and, um, you know, sometimes uh, elephants pass away, sadly. Uh, so the, the numbers sort of go up and down, but um, we are thrilled to be able to do what we do and to be able to have, um, serve as many elephants as, as we have in our past 27 years. Uh, the other half of our mission is to educate, uh, to teach the public about what elephants are, about how incredibly valuable they are to the, the wild world, about their role as keystone species in their native habitats in Asia and in Africa, and of course about the value of conserving uh, this species and conserving the wild places where they live as well as their wild neighbors. And we also educate about the needs of elephants in captivity. Um, our, our goal or, you know, what we'd like to see is a, a scenario where all elephants living in captivity have the, the resources and the ability uh, to live a, a full and content life. So uh, in a nutshell, our, our, our job, our mission is to help elephants where, wherever they may be and uh, whatever condition they might be in. Yeah, I think I really like what you mentioned about elephants being a keystone species. I think it really provides... Um, you know, background into why in the first place should we be um, having a harmonious relationship with nature, because essentially uh, preserving nature is just going to contribute to our own sustainability since they provide such essential ecosystem services 
through the behaviors of elephants and other animals. So um, that's definitely very important. Um, and also, you know, often many animal facilities or rescue centers, they call themselves animal sanctuaries. But, you sure. know, in technical terms, these facilities do have different purposes and characteristics. And it's important, especially for the general public, to be able to identify these variations. So what would you say is the specific criteria for a facility to be distinguished as a sanctuary? Well, I, I guess the, the first thing that I would advise of anyone is to, to never take a, a name of anything at, at face value. You know, like if we when you use the word like sanctuary or, or preserve or rescue or, or zoo for that matter, right, that that covers a lot of ground. Like, you know, that encompasses a very wide breadth of uh, facilities that, that may do very different things, but still call themselves the, the same name. Um, again, I mentioned this before, but uh, a good place to start is to look and see uh, that those facilities are either uh, accredited by the Global Federation of, of Animal Sanctuaries or um, our elephant sanctuary. The elephant sanctuary in Tennessee is also certified uh, with the Association of, of Zoos and Aquariums. And that's another uh, great um, sort of tag that you can look for to see if that facility has met uh, industry agreed upon uh, standards for animal well-being. Beyond that, uh, another criteria that we advise everybody to look for is look to see if, if if the animals in that facility, you know, wherever it is, look to see if those animals are are, are being asked to do something beyond you know what a a reasonable person would think of as wild behavior for that animal, right? Like if you're if you're going someplace that calls itself uh, a sanctuary or uh, a preserve, but they're caring for or the, the elephants in their care are still giving rides or, or doing, you know, performances or um, having lots of interaction with, with, with humans. Obviously, that's not something that, that wild elephants do. Those would all be indicators that uh, that facility um, may not have the, the welfare of those animals as, as uh one of its highest priorities. So, and there, there are lots of uh, places out there that are uh, doing the, the best that they can with the resources that they have to provide better homes for elephants that may have previously come from deplorable conditions. But I, I really think the most important thing, uh, Nikita, is for people to always ask, always take a few minutes to do, to look online, to find those reviews, to, to um, ask yourself, are these animals being cared for in a way that I'm okay with, never ever just assume that that everything is uh, quote unquote right just because that's what the uh, that's what the facility's name is. Yeah, um, I've seen like a few reserves where visitors they're allowed to like paint or bathe the elephants. Mm-hmm. And they just like label themselves as a sanctuary, so people automatically right. assume okay, it's good. I'm uh, yeah, absolutely. Sanctuary. But um, yeah, what you said is very important for um, identifying. Um, which facility, what criteria are they actually fulfilling for elephants? And um, just regarding the Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary, how many elephants are in your care? We have nine elephants that we care for right now. Uh, they, we have um, five Asian elephants and four African elephants. And they, they range in age from 37 uh, to age 60. Um, we actually, we, we have live streaming cameras uh, where the public can view the elephants along with us. Again, you know, you're able to to see and observe these elephants without physically uh, being with them or in their in their presence. And so we we think that's sort of the the best mode for observing the the elephants that live here with us. And uh, Billy uh, is our 60 year old elephant. I, I just saw her on the uh, the live cams just before we signed on here. So she's enjoying uh, a pretty a pretty pretty hot morning here in Tennessee that we're having, but. Um, it's perfect, uh, perfect for Billy and the other elephants. And so um, they seem happy. That's cool. Um, I noticed that you, that the sanctuary only has female elephants. Uh, why are they only, why is that the case? Are there any special challenges associated with keeping male elephants? So male elephants or bulls, I guess to use the, the, the more scientific term, are um, different than, than females, right? Go, go mm-hmm. figure uh, bull elephants are much larger. Um, they have very different temperaments, very different behavior patterns, very different needs. Uh, in the wild, uh, in, with both Asian 
uh, and African elephants. Bull elephants, when they reach maturity, when they, when they get to be you know teenagers, they're about they uh, leave their their herds, the the herds that are led by um, an older, more established female, the the matriarch. Uh, the bull elephants sort of have to strike out on their own. Sometimes uh, a group of young male elephants will come together and form what's called a, a bachelor pod. Sometimes they'll be more solitary. Uh, but really, for the most part, in the wild, adult males and adult females, although they certainly do spend time together, they don't really live together in the in the same herd for the, for the most part. Females, on the other hand, they'll remain in their... Uh, matriarchal herds for their entire lives. So all that is to say, if you have a scenario where uh, an adult male and adult female are placed together, um, it, it may not go very well. Um, those two elephants may not be able to, to socialize. It could lead, to, it could lead to, to bigger issues. Not always, but it, but it could. The elephant sanctuary was actually created as a home for um, Asian female elephants specifically, uh, initially, and um, that's what we did for several years. And then in the early 2000s, we had the ability, uh, we were asked if we would be able to provide retirement for two African uh, Savannah elephant females for the first time. And we, of course, said yes. And we, we were able to, to modify our facility to make that a possibility. Uh, we, we did take in one male elephant many years ago. named uh, His name is Ned. He was actually confiscated by uh, authorities from his former owner, uh, here in the United States, and his health was so um, poor, honestly, that a lot of the normal concerns with a bull elephant just, just didn't apply. He was only with us for uh, a few months before before he passed away. It was a very sad case. Uh, I should also say that the elephant sanctuary now, we, we do have the capacity, and we're certainly willing to take in uh, bull elephants. So um, we don't have any bull elephants with us at the moment. Um, that will be changing sometime in the not so distant future. The, the, our um, associates, our colleagues at Zoo Knoxville in Eastern Tennessee have announced that they're going to be transferring their three uh, elephants, two females and one bull uh, to the sanctuary. We don't have an exact timeline for that yet, but we are busy making way for those new arrivals. Uh, and so um, at some point, um, maybe in the not so distant future, uh, we will be welcoming uh, a bull elephant to our facility, and um, we are all extremely excited uh, to see how that will uh, to see how that will go. That's really exciting. Um, is the elephant is the bull elephant Tonka? That yes, he is. He is Tonka. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I think it's also interesting that the social structure for elephants is matriarchal, and um, I think preserving that natural social structure is so significant for the elephant's welfare and probably one of the missing elements in zoos and circus environments. Um, they usually just, you know, switch and mix and match around elephants like props without actually considering their natural behavior. So um, the fact that, you know, sanctuaries like yours actually put in detail and thought into it is um, really significant. So um also, just wondering, which resident elephant do you share a special bond with personally and why? I don't know that I would call it a, a bond. I don't know that that would be that, that would be a fair description, but I, I, I do feel a special affinity for um, Sissy, one of the Asian elephants here. And um, the reason for that is Sissy retired to the sanctuary uh, in the year 2000. She, she'd been a zoo elephant and she'd lived at a few different zoos in Texas um, she, she'd always had a hard time socializing with other elephants. And finally, uh, at her final zoo home, um, it was a really awful story. She, she wasn't treated, uh, she wasn't treated very well. And the, the supporters of this particular facility, uh, really got angry uh, about Sissy's treatment and, um, mm. long story short, they kind of, um, made way for, for Sissy to come and live with us. So for Sissy to get from Texas to Tennessee, uh, the caravan had to had to drive through the state of Arkansas, and they actually uh, Sissy and her caravan spent the night uh, at a hotel in a, a little town in eastern Arkansas, and that was where they overnighted before resuming the the, uh, the journey. And that little town is actually the town where, where I grew up, and I didn't I didn't know any of this until after I'd already worked at the sanctuary and I was researching some of the life histories of the elephants. And so it was quite a surprise when I found out that Sissy the elephant had uh, spent the night. 
the, the little town where I grew up. So I always, um, Sissy's a, a fascinating elephant with a fascinating story, but that just seemed like a, a very, very big coincidence. And I've, mm-hmm. I've always sort of felt um, uh, Sissy holds a, a special place in, in my heart. And she does with a, with a lot of other people as well. Sissy has a lot of fans all over the world and especially in um, Texas where she spent so many years. There's a big, a big Sissy fan club there. No, yeah, and she's definitely been through a lot. I mean, I read that she nearly drowned in the Texas floods and had a and has a fear of water. Um, can you tell our listeners a bit about you know that part of the story? About uh, sure, and, and I also want to say that the, the, the reason that we we know um, a fair amount about Sissy's background is because uh, she has so many uh, friends and, and supporters mm-hmm. um, in in Texas and, and again all over the world. Uh, a very quick version. Uh, Sissy was brought to the United States. Um, we don't exactly know where Sissy was born. We, we know that it was in the, the uh, in the wild somewhere in, uh, in southern or, or southeastern Asia. Um, we, we think probably maybe uh, Thailand, but I, I, I don't know. I can't state that as fact. It's probably just speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know is that the elephant that we now uh, know as Sissy first popped up on um, the historical record here in the U.S., as part of a part of a petting zoo collection at the Six Flags amusement park outside of Dallas, Texas. And so um, Sissy very quickly outgrew the, the confines and the circumstance of the petting zoo. And she was uh, sent to live uh, at a zoo in, uh, in Gainesville, Texas. And um, it's called the Frank Buck Zoo. And uh, Sissy lived there for many, many years. And in 1981, I think it was 1981, um, there was a, a flood. The, the zoo was built uh, in a valley. Uh, there was a, a little uh, uh, river that sort of ran uh, ran through the, the zoo, actually. And so with all the rain, the, the water rose and um, the zoo sustained a lot of damage. And uh, Sissy the elephant actually sort of disappeared. Um, her enclosure was underwater. Uh, as you can imagine, there was a lot of a lot of chaos. A lot of the zoo employees were working to uh, protect everybody, to, uh, to make sure that everyone was accounted for, both the you know, humans and, and animals, and you name it. And um, Sissy was sort of uh, presumed lost. No one knew where she was. And then after about 36 hours, I guess about a day and a half, uh, mm-hmm. staff realized that Sissy had not, you know, she, had, she hadn't washed away in the, the rising floodwaters. She'd actually been able to um, sort of affix herself. Uh, to, in some reports say that it was, you know, she was able to sort of hang on to a tree. I've read other accounts that said she was able to sort of wedge her body in between a, a tree and another outbuilding in her enclosure, but she was able to, to hold on. She was able to keep herself in place, even as the, the water uh, continued to rise. And the water was actually up just over her head for several hours. She was able to to take a breath by lifting her trunk up above the, the water line. Eventually, the water did come back down. Uh, her staff were able to get to Sissy and were able to, to rescue her, as the case may be, and to get her to, to um, let go of, of where she was and to travel to a higher ground where she could she could rest and could be assessed by the, the veterinarians. But um, I think it's, you know, a, it's safe to say that that was probably uh, a jarring and, and terrifying experience for Sissy. And then after that, her, her keepers there. And then years later, after she moved to another zoo and then another zoo, and then finally here, um, it was noted that she, she did not have, she didn't seem to have the same um, affection for water that you would expect of Asian elephants. Most Asian elephants love to be in the water. You know, they, they, they're very good, good swimmers. They, they love to wade and splash and play. And Sissy just didn't, wasn't interested. Um, and so it took uh, years before we saw her actually get into our ponds here and swim and uh, socialize with some of the other elephants in the water. Uh, and then here just very recently, Sissy, uh, with the other elephants, especially when it's hot, they really enjoy being sprayed with the, with the water hose. It's sort of a little, um, uh, it's a, a regular reward that we'll do for the elephants sometimes. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll give them uh fire hose baths or, or garden hose baths and the elephants uh, really, really enjoy it. Sissy had never really expressed interest in that until very recently. Um, I'd like to think that she witnessed all these other elephants doing something that they enjoyed and finally thought, you know, after all this time, like, okay, maybe, maybe it's time to try this now. And, and uh, 
she did it and uh you know I, I can't say for certain that she enjoyed it. I can't read her mind, but um, it, it seemed like it was an experience that she, well, I mean, she's shown interest again since then, since that first time. So I'd like to think that Sissy maybe uh, has gotten over or is getting over whatever fear of, of water may have been instilled in her um, many, many years ago when she had that, that awful experience with the, uh, with the rising waters. No, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's a miracle that she survived and it's nice to see that she's doing better in the sanctuary. Um, I also read that like after a few weeks in the habitat, she laid down by herself for the first time, yeah. in years, which I understand elephants do when they're more like at ease and comfortable. So that's really nice to see. And yeah, if you, mm-hmm. I was going to say, if you can imagine uh, a lot of people, uh, there's a, I think sort of a misconception that that elephants don't lie down, that they always sleep standing up and they they can sleep standing up and they do, but elephants, you know, do lie down. And it's, it's actually, you know, it's, especially for, for elephants as they get older, it's, it's, it's healthy for them to, to lie down and to be able to just rest and to take that immense weight off of their, off of their, their legs and their, their, their joints and their digits. And so, however, uh, as incredible and majestic as elephants are, when it comes to lying down, getting their big mass to the ground and then back up, that that takes a lot of a lot of effort on the part of the elephant. And the process of, of lying down uh, would be really one of the few times that elephants would be vulnerable to, to a, a predator or, or something else negative happening because they would be able to you know spring to their feet very quickly. So for an elephant to lie down, uh, we've always taken as indicative that. You know, they, they, they feel safe. They feel secure. They, they know that nothing bad is going to happen um, in which they'll, they'll need to respond or defend themselves while they're lying down. So, yes, with Sissy, when we saw her lie down for the first time, that was a big, big step for for Sissy and, and frankly, for the sanctuary as well, because we took that as a sign that she was growing in her comfort level here and, and hopefully feeling feeling safe and feeling at home. No, yeah, that's great that, you know, she's like doing better in a more safe environment. And in addition to providing, you know, a safe environment for zoo elephants like Sissy, the sanctuary also receives elephants from circuses like Nosy. So can you tell us about the specific conditions, circus elephants they endure and how do they recover? Yeah, and I, I do want to take one step back and something that I, I think I brought up earlier and I should, I should clarify uh, so the elephant sanctuary is is certified by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and we we do work closely with the, with a number uh, of zoos. Um, the Knoxville Zoo, I, I gave that example earlier. Um, we are very very uh, very very proud and thankful that we're in a position where we're able to to learn from many of, of our colleagues that are in the zoo industry, and that also we're able to share our experience uh, caring for uh, the elephants here at the sanctuary with other entities, other zoos that may be dealing with with similar uh, circumstances. And I would say that the Association of Zoos and Aquariums and its member uh, organizations and related facilities really over the course of the past several years have um, really been, they've made a a very concerted effort to review, and I'll just speak about the elephant programs, but uh, to heighten uh, and to codify their, their standards of care, to be able to provide more um, uh, more opportunities for uh, so for more natural socialization. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, to give the elephants opportunities to have more natural enrichment. Really trying to trying to bring more of those wild aspects into um, a, a non wild situation. And, and we do much of the same stuff here at the sanctuary. So. To your question, when we talk about elephant acquisitions, uh, every every case is on a is, is its own um, set of circumstances, and no two elephant acquisitions or transferals to the sanctuary are exactly the same. Best case scenario, what makes everybody happy is when we are able to proactively plan ahead with another entity, another elephant owning organization. Um, I'll use you know the. Um, uh, another AZA zoo or the zoo Knoxville as an example, when we're able to work with those organizations to say, this is, you know, we, we all want what is best for these, for these elephants. This is what we can do to make that happen. Um, those are typically the, 
those are the, the relationships that we really enjoy engaging in because you have a group of people that are all working together for the same goal of providing um, the best life possible for um, the, these elephants that everyone um, cares for and, and certainly, certainly loves. There are other scenarios, to get back to your question, where um, that's not the case, where um, authorities uh, get involved. Nosy is a great example. Uh, Nosy was a, was a circus elephant for, for many, many years. Uh, like with many other uh, circus elephants, her life was a far, far cry than what the life of a wild elephant would be. You know, in the wild, these elephants, they live in groups. They're traveling. Uh, they are uh, looking for food, looking for water, socializing with other animals, having uh, with other elephants, I should say, having these very, very rich, uh, dynamic experiences day to day um, that engage their, their bodies and, and their minds in a, a yeah. way that, that nature would intend. Nosy, on the other hand, her life for, uh, for 29 years was um, being uh, pulled in a, in a horse trailer from, from town to town, uh, being made to, to give rides for several hours a day um, in, you know, gosh, on, on parking lots and in, uh, you know, these, these open fields as part of a, as part of a carnival, as part of a, a traveling fair or, or exhibit. So Nosy's life for a long time was very nearly the, the opposite of, of what that of a wild uh, elephant would have. Thankfully, um, a, a few years ago in um, 2017, uh, Nosy's circus was performing uh, not that far away in Alabama. Um, people who witnessed Nosy there were concerned about her well-being. They called the authorities. Uh, the authorities made the decision to actually confiscate Nosy and uh, bring her to the sanctuary uh, to live with us. And then uh, after um, a little bit of uh, legal procedure, uh, the courts decided that Nosy indeed uh, was going to be a permanent resident of the Elephant Sanctuary. And she will be with us for the, for the rest of her hopefully very, very long life. Uh, with Nosy, we see a lot of the issues that are common in performing elephants as they get older. Um, arthritis is always a concern. Uh, we think it's very likely that the elephants through, um, well, in Nosy's case, all that walking on, on concrete and parking lots, you can imagine yeah. the impact that when, you know, weighing, you know, nine or 10,000 pounds, every time you take a step onto a hard surface like concrete, that's a lot of impact that's going to affect every joint in that elephant's body and doing that day after day, year after year, over time, that causes a lot of wear and tear on the elephant's physical well-being, and that magnifies as, as they get older. So arthritis is a big issue that we see. Uh, Nosy also had a, a skin condition called uh, hypokeratosis. Let me try that again. Hyperkeratosis uh, that had to be treated. Um, a lot of elephants come, we see, uh, with, uh, I call, um, I sort of jokingly call them the, the itises. A lot of inflammatory diseases that um, are chronic and, and get worse as the elephants age. And you see a lot of this with elephants from a circus background, but pododermatitis and osteomyelitis issues with their, uh, with their feet, with their, with their toes, their knees, uh, their hips. Certainly those are a lot of the really common uh, afflictions that we see in elephants that come from a performing background. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a similar situation to elephants who perform in festivals in India as well, since, you know, sure. it's around hundreds of you know, mm -hmm. loud people or heavy decorations. They're, they're um, going for rides. There are similar problems with their feet on the concrete floor. Right. And also just um, talking about the mental stress that they go through, um, like some elephants, they have PT, they have symptoms of PTSD. So I can imagine that I think uh, Nosy was in a performer for 20 plus years. So I can imagine yep. how that's affected her um, mentally as well is also important to consider. And um, you also talked, you also mentioned the Knoxville Zoo. So, and you said you valued having, you know, a constructive relation, constructive relationship with the zoo rather than, you know, one based on hostility. And um, they've just announced they're sending three African elephants uh, to the to the Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary. Can you just elaborate more about that? Uh, sure. And, and, and there's a lot that, that we are still planning right now. And again, you know, we, we are working with our, our colleagues at the Knoxville Zoo to, to make this transition uh, as, as 
smooth and as, um, gosh, as, as successful as possible for uh, Jana, Edie, and, and Tonka, the, the three elephants in question. So, um, you know, here at the sanctuary, we are in the process of, um, uh, gosh, ex, you know, expanding, making changes with some of our infrastructure to make way for these three uh, new elephants. And um, I, the, the Knoxville Zoo, um, I, I don't know for a, a certain that this is what they're doing, but I, I, I can imagine they're probably going to be working um, with those elephants to, um, to, you know, help get them ready for, for transport um, and to make their, their final time uh, at, the, at the zoo as enriching and as meaningful as it can be for those elephants and also for uh, all the fans of those elephants at the zoo. So, um, again, a, a timeline hasn't been set for the transfer of, the, of those three elephants, but we are, we are getting ready for them. And I, I know that at the Knoxville Zoo, it's a, it's a bittersweet thing to, to say goodbye to the animals that they care for. Uh, but again, I think it's um, uh, very commendable that they made the decision to, to do this, knowing and believing that it was what was best for their, for their elephants. No, that's so exciting. Um, I mean, the translocation, I understand it's very um, complex process, so many factors to be considered. Um, but um, we're all rooting for the elephants and hopefully it all goes successful. And yeah, I think just regarding the second aspect of the mission that you mentioned for the sanctuary, I also noticed you yourself like personally contributed to the sanctuary's extensive educational program, both in person at the Discovery Center and through distance learning. Can you elaborate on these educational programs and their benefits and availability? Absolutely. So the Elephant Sanctuary, we, we carry out our education mission in a few different ways. Uh, we have a museum here in Hohenwald, Tennessee, which is where we are located. Um, and that museum, uh, the Elephant Discovery Center, is open every Tuesday through Saturday from nine until four. Uh, we have a lot of school field trips to come here. We have lots of drop-in visitors, of course. We have interactive exhibits about uh, the need for conservation, about the different species of elephants and about their role as keystone species. And then certainly, of course, about uh, what we do at the sanctuary and the elephants that live here. In addition to that, we have a uh, dynamic distance learning program, a virtual learning program where using uh, different web conferencing platforms like what we're doing here, we're able to connect with classes, schools, libraries, community centers, you name it, all over the world, and again, share uh, standards-based programming about elephants and the need for, for conservation. As a matter of fact, uh, before we spoke today, I was doing a program for uh, a school in, uh, in Nebraska, which is in a completely different part of the United States than, than where, we're, where we're located. And we do, on average, about 500 of those virtual programs a year, reaching between 14 to 15,000 learners. Uh, hopefully that number will, uh, will go up uh, from uh, year to year. We also have a number of uh, volunteers, outreach volunteers that do presentations uh, on our behalf, that do outreach on our behalf. So uh, our education program uh, has also been growing quite a bit and will continue to grow because our board of directors, our management has always been uh, very, very clear uh, and forward thinking in that this education program, uh, raising the public's awareness, uh, creating a, a world that can better sustain humans and elephants alike together is how we will be able to truly create a better life for as many elephants as possible. So our, our education program um, is something that we're very, very excited about. And um, hopefully we'll have uh, lots of new stories to tell very soon. Yeah, I was looking through them. Um, I really like how the courses, they're all based on case studies of the sanctuary's elephants. I think it makes it really interactive. And um, it has, you know, a very large and diverse body of engagement. I was just looking at the numbers on the page. It said it's reached more than 55,000 individuals and has audiences in 48 states and 39 countries from, you know, like six continents. That's very amazing and impressive. Um, and I think that's uh, you guys are doing amazing work on that end. And um, also, what are LCAMs? I noticed that on the website. Oh, sure. Yeah, so we have uh, we have live streaming cameras that we call Ellie cams or elephant cameras, and they are located throughout the uh, the elephant habitat here at the sanctuary. So we have thirteen cameras that are 
that allow us to monitor the elephants in real time. And we also stream those Ellie cams to our website at elephants.com so that people from the comfort of their, of their home, their computer, their tablet, their phone, their what have you, uh, they're able to observe the elephants along with us. And we have a lot of people that do. We get lots of phone calls and emails every day someone asking about something that they saw on, uh, on the LA cams. And so um, I, I, I tell everybody that even though uh, the elephants here are retired and something I should be very clear about that I didn't say before, our elephant sanctuary is not open to the public. It, it is a, again, a true sanctuary. The elephants here are not on display. Their, uh, their public lives are, are, are behind them to some degree. Um, even though people cannot physically come here to see the elephants, uh, they are able to, um, well, to observe the elephants, right, from, from the comfort of their own home. So uh, the elephants here, the nine elephants that live with us, they are, are viewed, you know, gosh, thousands of times a day by people all around the world, but they're done so in a way that doesn't, uh, doesn't change or infringe upon um, the elephant's uh, sanctuary style of life here. Yeah, and I think, you know, these educational programs and live streams that you guys are offering are a great opportunity for just the general public to learn about this, because I know that zoos are often argued to be, you know, educational. They've said that's the purpose, but I think there are many other ways that people can educate themselves, and especially for um, younger kids, it's really important um, to sort of, I think, Someone told me once the most interesting behavior of elephants is what they do naturally in their habitat. So I think that's just seeing them naturally on the live streams is what's going to be the most inspiring and interesting for people. And also sort of building compassion, I think, at a young age is um, important. So having it's great to see that your educational programs, they go for like very young ages, starting from pre-K all the way up till um, sixth grade. So that's really cool as well. Um, I think there, I think there's an inherent curiosity about elephants and that's what we want to encourage. And we want to, we want to use that curiosity kind of as a, as a starting point to hopefully create um, a passion uh, and a desire to, to, to protect and to care for uh, the, the wild kingdom, uh, certainly using elephants as a, as a great example. Um, great. And what were some of your primary challenges, would you say, in just establishing the elephant sanctuary and just um, you've encountered while working on it? Well, I think there are maybe, I guess, two challenges that, that is something that we deal with all the time. And I think um, a big challenge, and I sort of alluded to this before, is um, a lot of people uh, here you know, elephant sanctuary, and, and they assume that this is a place where, oh, I can go and see the elephants or hang out with them. And so we, we spend a lot of time uh, really helping uh, our uh, supporters and members of the general public, um, you know, take a moment to, to stop and think really about, about what that means, uh, about why we're not open to the public, about the, the reasoning uh, and the, the lives of the elephants that, that live here with us and why we feel that this is the best circumstance for them. And uh, what we've learned or what I've learned, and again, I've been doing this for several years now, is that a lot of people, uh, they, they contact us, or they, you know, they'll call or they'll email or they'll stop by, and they just assume that you know, they, they can buy a ticket and go see the elephants because mm-hmm. that's just sort of what, we're, what they're accustomed to. And even though those people are, are always you know, disappointed initially, um, with maybe one or two exceptions, every one of those conversations ends with that person saying, oh, you know, I was disappointed, but I completely understand, you know, why you do what you do. I think it's wonderful that this place exists. I totally get it. And so we were able to take what might begin as a disappointment and turning into and turn it into a really powerful learning uh, opportunity. And, and that's something that we do if not every day, certainly very, very close to it. So a challenge that we've had is, you know, how, how can we, uh, or I guess learning how to be uh, an education organization, how to teach people about conservation, how to teach uh, a respect and, and care for these animals in a, a very sort of new uh, and different way. And that, that's a challenge that we'll continue to have and one that we are certainly glad to, to take on. And that leads to the, to the second challenge, you know, our, our, our mission. Um, and I know that the other guests that you've talked to have alluded to this well is a, a very daunting one. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to 
protected elephants. Uh, all three elephant species are now recognized as endangered. You know, there, there are elephants that do live in deplorable conditions all over uh, the world and in human care, certainly here in the United States as well. And we want to give all those elephants the best life possible. And that's a really, really uh, big, big task. And um, I think the the more that we learn and the more that we grow, we really are realizing the enormity of that. But at the same time, uh, all of our little successes day to day, every every distance learning program, every conversation that we have, every story about, you know, Sissy lying down for the first time or, you know, Billy still enjoying and, and moving around and getting the most out of sanctuary at age 60. Um, all those little stories and instances really reinforce to us and to our supporters um, the value of, of what we do and um, the necessity of continuing to, to move forward. So, uh, of course, we, we have challenges. Everybody does, but um, we will continue to meet those challenges to the best of our ability and um, be prepared for whatever comes next. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and when you say giving elephants the best life possible, I just wanted to ask, what do you think is the future for captive elephants? And also part of that, what is your opinion on rewilding or tra uh, training elephants to survive back in their wild habitats? Is that a feasible option? Yeah, and I, I can't, I don't know that I can be in a, uh, an authority or I can't speak uh, as an expert on uh, all, you know, rewilding initiatives. I, I do know that to the best of my knowledge, and I may be mistaken, but to the best of my knowledge, there's never been a scenario, uh, again, here in uh, North America where an elephant that's grown up uh, in human care or in captivity has been successfully uh, rewilded. Maybe that can happen in the future. Uh, but I, I think that's I think that's probably very unrealistic just because um, elephants are incredibly intelligent animals and incredibly complex and complicated. And uh, elephants that have grown up in man-made care, that have grown up in, in captive or, or non-wild settings, um, I think it's very, very difficult for them to go back to the wild just because they've never really been uh, equipped through observation, through, through learning through being uh, with a herd in a natural setting uh, to be able to, to, to survive or to, to thrive in, in that setting. So um, I, I think, I think rewilding is a great subject to think about. Um, I think it's something that we should continue uh, to think about and examine, but as of right now, I don't know how realistic an option that is. And again, just, just speaking for uh, elephants that reside in the, in the United States. Mm -hmm. Right. So would you say that like just for current captive elephants is a solution, just trying to get them to one of the nearest sanctuaries? Um, yeah, I think so. I think looking ahead, you know, here, here in the U.S., again, there's hundreds of captive elephants. And then again, those elephants, uh, their, their living conditions range greatly from elephants that live at the elephant sanctuary, elephants that live at the other accredited elephant sanctuary, the Performing Animal Welfare Society in California. Elephants that live in uh, these very, very uh, ad advanced, um, um, very, very, uh, gosh, what's, what's a good adjective? Uh, these incredibly advanced, these incredibly uh, careful and thoughtful uh, and successful uh, zoos where the elephants are part of, you know, expansive habitats and social settings. And they're able to uh, have a lot of that, a lot of those enrichment opportunities that have some aspects of that wildlife. Uh, to elephants that live in, in other facilities that, that aren't uh, accredited or, or certified. And these should be like your, your roadside zoos or circuses, carnivals, that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think for all elephants in captivity, what we would like to see is more aspects that we associate with the elephant sanctuary, having the opportunity to form social bonds with other elephants, having uh, the space to be able to explore and to engage in different types of environments, uh, having individualized healthcare uh, provided by professionals to, to deal with a lot of the, the, the health issues that we see with these elephants, um, spending time thinking about uh, the overall well-being of each individual elephant and also about the elephant herd as a whole. I, I think what I'd like to see for the future of captive elephants is for that conversation to happen for all of those elephants and for some of those elephants that could very well mean retiring to 
an accredited sanctuary. And of course, we'd be happy to provide a home for as many as we can, but we would also be happy working with other elephant owners, other uh, accredited um, zoos to be able to um, think about bringing what could be some aspects of the sanctuary to the elephant instead of the other way around. Right. And, um, you know, providing these natural habitats and opportunities to socially interact, let's say just a transition from a state of captivity to one at least like a sanctuary. Um, what are some of the observable changes that, you know, you've no- or people have noticed in their behavior? Is there a reversal of symptoms that elephants experience? For example, um, um, stereotypical behavior, like does that completely go away or does that well, it, is it gradual? How does that work? So, uh, you know, when the elephants come here, and again, it, everything is very unique to each individual elephant and her, uh, his or her circumstances, I guess I, sh- I should now say. So uh, you mentioned stereotypical behavior. Uh, obviously, that's something that you see with with a lot of captive animals. Elephants are no different. Uh, we've had a number of elephants that, that have retired here to the sanctuary that do display stereotypical behavior. What we, what we like to see and what we have seen over time is a decrease in that behavior. Um, and we consider that a success. I think that because elephants are so intelligent and, and do have such a wide range of emotions, you know, there's, when they come to the sanctuary, it's, it's, it's not like there's just a, you know, a switch that gets flipped from, from off to on and, and everything is, is okay. Again, there, these, um, massively, um, gosh, intelligent and uh, complicated animals in many ways. And um, every experience that they've had really creates and forms who they are to today and, and how they view the world around them. So what we try to do is to try to give the elephants every day um, a lot of good memories, maybe to go along with some of the some of the bad ones that they may carry with them and also give them a safe space to um to be able to, 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 to exercise and to express themselves without fear of, of being punished or anything bad happening. So what we see um, is what we look for, what we take as a sign of success is when elephants do start to act more like wild elephants, when they start to forage more on their own, when they start to express curiosity towards other elephants, when they go for a swim in our ponds for the first time or lie down or in, in Nosy's case, start to use her tusks to, to, uh, to, to uh, root in the ground or to scrape bark off of trees or, or break branches. Any sort of uh, demonstration of, of wild behavior is a, a really, really uh, important and wonderful thing to see here from the elephants. And again, we can't, I think it would be um, too simple to say that we can we can undo a lot of the bad things that have happened to the elephants in the past. But what we can do is give them a, a safe uh, space where they can have the the best present possible and hopefully a very uh, a very long and um, content future. Yeah, and I mean, like you mentioned, elephants and their needs are very complex. So it's uh, it's definitely tricky to find solutions which are. Um, suited to captive elephants. And um, like you mentioned, rewilding, that's um, not been done before. I have heard that the Aspinall Foundation is rewilding a herd of 13 elephants from Kent um, uh, back to Africa. So we'll see how that goes, I guess. Yeah, it would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And um, but there has been discussion about just phasing out elephants from zoos in general regarding the UK bill for Elephant Free UK. Um, so do you think regarding that bill, is there a similar possibility for some sort of law enforcement you know, in the US? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar with the bill in the UK. Um, and regarding here in the United States, I know I know that uh, many, many states, many cities, many counties and jurisdictions have passed uh, legislation that prevents uh, the use of elephants in quote unquote performance. And so those would be your your circus or your, your traveling elephants. And so um, I, I think for, for me, that's where I'd like to see the focus really go is to try to um, provide a, a better life for, for the elephants that really need it the most. And those would be the elephants that are traveling from place to place. Uh, again, Nosy being a, a great example. Uh, I think that is where uh, we would like to see a lot of the effort placed here in the U.S. Uh, to encourage and a- applaud organizations that are, are doing, um, they're trying to meet those very high standards for elephant care and also 
um, maybe try to influence a lot of those uh, circuses with elephants, carnivals that still use elephant rides to uh, maybe convince them to think about doing things a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And you guys, I mean, just you guys do amazing work. It's great to hear a perspective from someone who's involved with elephants on the ground and also just in the distance from looking from an educational perspective. How can the public help and support your mission as a sanctuary? Well, the first thing to remember is to to go to our website, www.elephants.com. Lots of wonderful information there. Uh, you can go there to request one of our virtual learning programs. You can go there to watch our LE cams. You can certainly go there to donate. The Elephant Sanctuary is a uh, 501c3 donor-funded organization. Everything that we do is made possible by uh, caring donors located around the world who agree with what we do uh, and want to help. So uh, elephants.com can answer all those questions. Um, we encourage everybody to... Um, one thing that we really talk a lot about is traveling responsibly, which is something that we've sort of talked about a lot here today. If you're going to go someplace where there may, uh, you may see elephants, um, to stop and ask yourself those questions. Does this elephant have what we know elephants need? Does it have access to space to explore? Does it have access to other elephants? Is it being asked to do something beyond uh, the realm of what wild elephants might do? Uh, if the answer to those questions are no, then I would think really, really hard um, as to whether or not that would be a place that you would like to support. Another action step that we ask everyone to take is to think of ways that we can help our environment in big and little ways. You know, we encourage everybody to think of doing things like uh, saying no to single-use plastics, you know, reusing and recycling uh, what we can, uh, making conscientious choices as a consumer to purchase from and to reward organizations that are creating their goods and services in a way uh, that is more environmentally friendly and and not having such a devastating effect on um, the the habitat where where elephants live. And again, all of this is is outlined also at elephants.com. So lots lots to do to make a difference. Yeah, great. And we'll link the website in the description as well. So people should definitely, our listeners should definitely check that out. And I mean, yeah, this was a very insightful conversation regarding how we can improve the welfare of elephants. And like you mentioned, better educate the public on how to just, um, you know, better engage with the issue of captive elephants and identify sanctuaries. So, um, yeah, I really wanted to thank you for coming in today. It was really nice talking to you. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Nikita. And uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And thanks for what you do.